Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This week's episode of Millions of Screens is brought to you by Lovecraft Country. For your awards consideration, the HBO original drama that Rolling Stone hails is fantastic and a genre-bending tour de force. The series stars Jonathan Majors and Journey Smullett, whose unmissable performances decide are called Top Notch and USA Today calls Superb. Watch the full seasons of the year's most buzzed-about drama that blurs the line between science fiction and reality in 1950s Jim Crow America. Now streaming on HBO Max. This is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm current producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Bridgerton's big numbers over the course of its first two weeks on Netflix. Some Golden Globes category decisions that Netflix made for The Crown. And Ted Danson being high. <laughs> Getting high with Ted Danson. Oh man, we got to work that around. We can yeah, make we gotta, that a podcast. We got to have him on the pod. We should have had him on the pod. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from the past couple of weeks, because we were away. But as I mentioned up top, Netflix announced its supposed numbers that Bridgerton had 63 million viewers, watchers, people who tuned in at least for two minutes uh, over the course of its first two weeks, making it the fifth biggest show in the streamer's history. Ben, are you surprised? Uh, No, I'm not surprised. Uh, It was very well marketed and... Shonda is the shit. Uh, plus, it has a Dairy Girls star, and people are really hungry for Dairy Girls content right now. So it hit all the quadrants that you'd need to make a successful Netflix series uh, on December twenty fifth, two thousand twenty. Yeah, it was adapted from a from a well received. Um, I said a series, I think, from from several decades ago. You know, it's telling a different story in that age, and it is. It, and while um, Shonda is is an executive producer on it, but it's it definitely is in line with her shows in very being very propulsive and um, very kind of soapy. Um, but I don't know if that's for me. I'm not the biggest soap fan, as we were discussing earlier. That's really Ben. Um, OC forever. Um, so yeah, I I don't. Uh, I've obviously heard very good things about it. I've heard a lot of people participating in the uh, in 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 the um, discourse around it, and um, those are some very impressive numbers that we can't entirely rely on coming out of Netflix. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. I it's not. It doesn't strike me as a surprise at all. This is absolutely what they wanted to happen with the show. What they expected to happen with the show. For the. For those wondering what the top four shows were above Bridgerton, Please. they are Tiger King. Is that oh, of four? Of course, it was. Uh, Stranger Things season three is at number three. Money Heist part four 
is at number two. That's wild to me. And I mean, these are Netflix's numbers, obviously. Uh, and number one, I think we all know what number one has to be when you're talking about Netflix high viewer totals. The thing that the people want to see more of as soon as humanly possible. Yes, Libby? The Witcher. It is The Witcher. The Witcher is number one with 76 million views over the course of its first four weeks. I really thought you were going to say Dairy Girls, but... No, it was The Witcher. I'm God, sorry, God, I love ben. Dairy Girls. Well, I, I don't want to rain on Bridgerton's parade by any means. And if these numbers are uh, are accurate, then they're fantastic, obviously. But I, I do think that these numbers, especially at this time of year, point more to uh, kind of the, the Netflix as a utility understanding of things than anything else. Um, Netflix, shortly before the Bridgerton announcement, also announced that The Midnight Sky, uh, the George Clooney movie starring Kyle Chandler, uh, among other people, uh, also I had I can't believe gotten... you didn't just call it the Kyle Chandler movie as directed I have to, by I have to, Right, that would probably have been a more accurate way to phrase it. He's like um, fifth or sixth on the call sheet, isn't he? But he's number one in our hearts. And it got <laughs> 72 million viewers, supposedly. And no one is saying that The Midnight Sky is a great movie or something that should be turned into a franchise or anything that's like, wow, this is a this is such an amazing feat of anything. It is just the movie with George Clooney that is on over Christmas that a lot of people watched because they're home and they have Netflix. And I, I do that feel a lot that Bridgerton, of which is started. <laughs> yes. Well, they have to finish. I think we have, have to, to be clear. Kyle Chandler. You have to know. There's, I, I don't right. doubt that they finished the Midnight Sky because. All right. So there was some news coming out of Netflix that, in terms of categories for awards, they're going to be submitting Josh O'Connor and Emma Corrin in lead as opposed to supporting. Uh, Libby, what does this mean in terms of, especially in lead actress? We're now, and I guess supporting because now Jillian Jillian Anderson is sort of on her own and supporting. Well, it's, it, it, it is definitely rebalancing the crown's awards push. Um, what we know is this, uh, last year, neither Tobias Menzies or Josh O'Connor got a ton of awards buzz. Uh, Tobias Menzies, of course, was playing Prince Philip and, uh, was competing in lead and, uh, O'Connor was playing Prince Charles and uh, competing and supporting. The two have now swapped. Menzies will be competing and supporting, which makes much more sense. And O'Connor will be uh, competing in lead. Whether or not that helps their cases at um, the, at say the Golden Globes is unclear. What is clear is the thing that will help them the most is that succession is not in competition. <laughs> um, but the real question here is what this means for the actress and supporting actress candidates coming out of the crown. The most shocking thing about moving Emma Corrin to lead actress is that you are putting her directly in direct competition with Olivia Colman. Olivia Colman, who is a, a, a monument now in both film and television, uh, awarded for her uh, an Oscar for her work in The Favorite, um, recognized obviously with her work with the crown um so putting cornyn who played uh princess die to to very great effect is is a very interesting move and feels almost like a power move as it feels almost like a vote of no confidence 
for Coleman to put their maybe most breakout unseen talent from season four in direct competition with the queen herself. Um, as far as uh, uh, setting that aside, which is its own kind of interesting dynamic at play, moving Cornyn out of su- the supporting actress race seems to really clear the way for Gillian Anderson, who turned in a very lot of performance as Margaret Thatcher. Uh, I, I thought she was wonderful, but uh, Thatcher is such a mannered and particular personality um, with a very distinct way of talking and holding herself. Uh, I thought Anderson was amazing, but I don't know if it'll connect with other people. But now that she doesn't have to face off against Cornyn, uh, she has a much easier path, at least at the Golden Globes. The one thing is, is that there is always a chance of um, Helena Bonham Carter, who plays Princess Margaret, to throw up a challenge. Um, Bonham Carter... uh, had kind of a singular episode, a showcase episode, if you will, to kind of justify her existence in season four. It is not the best episode of the season, but she is doing a lot in it. Um, if anything, it feels curious to be moving Cornyn to lead actress and not Anderson, as it feels as though Anderson takes up a much larger part of the crown season four. Uh, arguably, I think that you could make the case that Cornyn Anderson and Coleman are are all three leads of season um, of season four. That they serve sort of a plate, um, like a, a braided, a threaded story, um, showing how outsiders are treated uh, within the royal family, and then the constant that makes those decisions but um sense has no place in the awards game so (laughs) um it'll be interesting to see the way this plays out if it changes anything at all uh just a reminder we don't know anything about anything and uh the awards are still uh three to four months away last year at the golden globes as you said so olivia coleman did win in lead Tobias mm-hmm. Menzies was uh, nominated uh, in in lead, and then Helena Bonham Carter was nominated in supporting. Correct. Um, so, so I would say this year we're way off. I assume off. Coleman gets back in in lead, and I assume I, I assume Coleman Coleman and Cornyn get in. I assume Anderson gets in in supporting. Um, I would guess O'Connor could get in and lead just because I don't know. And it's possible Menzies gets in too, even though I feel like we barely see him in season four. Um, It's possible because I'm having trouble remembering other dramas that exist at this moment. Uh, I'm sure they do, but uh, they aren't immediately springing to mind. That's sort of what I was Uh, leading. I was thinking they have have five actors in the, across the categories. Could they get everyone in of those five that we've talked about? I mean, they could, but there are also very serious contenders out there. You know, we were, you just said yourself, uh, you were talking about Lovecraft Country. HBO has plenty of uh, contenders there and Perry Mason. Uh, shows like that, uh, they do exist. It all 
it all depends on what is top of mind when those voters get their ballots. And the Crown aired the most recently of all of them. So that's, I think, part of the reason it's at the top of our, at the tip of our tongue. Um, and as Ben mentioned pre-pod, maybe they'll announce some Prince Charles casting news right before voting exactly. starts. To- we were discussing that we still don't have a, <clears throat> an officially announced actor for season five and six, I assume, for Prince Charles. Uh, the current rumor is still that uh, star of The Wire and The Affair, Dominic West, will be filling that role, but it has yet to be confirmed uh, for some reason, I would expect that uh, comes during um, a particularly helpful time, as the crown always seems to drop these little news tidbits um, at the most beneficial time for the news cycle. So, I would expect that about the time that Golden uh, that HFPA members start um, filling out their ballots. So, look for that soon. No, that was that was pretty much where I was going as well, because it it feels to me much like they're they're actively positioning themselves in a in a in a position of strength that they're that they're trying to put their strongest players in the best chance to get all the nominations rather than pitting them against each other in any way like they just they just want to clear the way because as you mentioned like uh, i laughed at it because of the 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 phrasing the phrasing that their biggest advantage is the fact that succession isn't competing this year but they of the five dramas nominated last year, The Crown and Killing Eve are the only ones that remain eligible. Ozark could make like its way back into the race again, but you know, there's there's not a ton of like the heavyweights sitting there. And because we know that the HFPA responds so strongly to the crown, Netflix could just be going all in and saying, Listen, we think we can get all of these. So we're going to put them in a position where uh we 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 feel like they're not competing against each other so much as you'd want to vote for both of them. Like you want to vote for Princess Diana and the Queen. Like you right. want to vote for the big names within the show as well as the people who played them. Um, so yeah, I, I'll be very interested to see how it plays out. Uh, but I, I, uh, the maneuvering is, is uh, I think it's skillful. I think it's smart. Gamesmanship. It's gamesmanship. Yeah. As Libby was just mentioning. Time for the thinly sliced meat of the podcast. <laughs> ben. You're welcome. Ben, you've been watching, binging for review. No? Well, they only gave me two episodes. Oh, you've so been. I, can't, I don't think it counts as a binge. Yeah, he binged it. You binged the two episodes Watched. that they gave you. Watch. Of Mr. 44 minutes. Mr. Mayor, uh, the Ted Danson vehicle from Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, right? And this led to you wanting to have this conversation. Well, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about Mr. Mayor before we get into portrayals of people under the influence of marijuana? But but first, tell us a little bit about Mr. Mayor and why you wanted to talk about this. That's a, that's an excellent framework, Leo. Uh, if, if I didn't know for the fact that we hadn't rehearsed this, I would have expected that we had because uh, the, the screeners for Mr. Mayor start with a warning not to spoil anything. It says that all spoilers are embargo. Don't spoil anything until after it comes out. And with a sitcom, typically that's not the focus. Uh, and with a sitcom that's this broad, I don't really even know what they mean when they say don't spoil anything. Um, <laughs> so Mr. Mayor- Does Bobby Moynihan is, is, die at the end of the pilot? 
No, like I, I mean, I guess I can't say no because technically that's like the the, the negation of a spoiler would like, mean that it's right, not a spoiler. Exactly. No, I think I tend to think that it could be, but anyway, um, Mr. Mayor is is a very straightforward uh, uh, traditional broadcast sitcom in which a an unlikely person inhabits a very important role, and in this case, uh, it's Ted Danson's uh, rich. Los Angeles res- resident who made his money from billboards and then retired and then was motivated to run for mayor when the Los Angeles mayor unexpectedly quit and he wanted to kind of inspire his daughter who thought he was just kind of a lethargic layabout who didn't do anything even though he's just a man of a certain age who can absolutely retire and just enjoy his life after his wife passes away but too much judgment so he runs for office and wins um it picks up like on his first day in elected office and his uh, his staff is trying to you know support him and, and get the right messages out there. Uh, there's a councilwoman played by Holly Hunter, who is kind of the very ultra progressive left wing uh, instigator who just kind of picks and picks and picks at him uh, to like push him in the other direction. And it's all played in this very kind of broad comic style where there's not sharply drawn lines about like he's a democrat or republican there's no parties listed um there's no like like the issues are are big and broad enough where like there's they're not taking a specific stance on anything um they're both just kind of caricatures of the expected people you see in those situations so he's an older white-haired rich person but he's still you know progressive and accepting enough to be likable by for everybody and she's kind of a um uh, like a just a just a hard line, uh, always coming up with a reason to be mad at you. Uh, parody of a of a liberal progressive, but you know she works with everybody, and and uh, it's Holly Hunter. You love her, like she's great. So, um, it's a very straightforward comedy, and after two episodes, I can just say that it plays a lot like what you'd expect a uh, Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. We conceived of this as a 30 rock spinoff and then uh it turned out alec baldwin may not want to do it or was asking too much so then we changed it so it could be ted danson taking his place and then we moved it to los angeles it plays exactly like that on nbc um and yet the spoiler thing now has me worried (laughs) this this very random funny plot development in the second episode might play as a spoiler so consider this a spoiler warning that Ted Danson gets high in the second episode of Mr. Mayor, which airs Thursday, January 7th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, and it's fantastic. Like, this this is this is the introduction to hopefully a, a, a thinly sliced meat, uh, a, but a broader conversation about um, people who get high on TV and whether or not <laughs> it's, it's endearing or infuriating. And... There's something about there's there's something about Ted Danson doing this, and obviously uh, he's played you know a, just a multitude of characters over the years on television and in movies. He's done drugs as as many of them, uh, but I think to a specific generation, uh, and honestly anybody who's a Ted Danson just super fan, bored to death is the thing you think of when you think of Ted Danson getting high, and Ted Danson getting high obsessively in bored to death is one of the more endearing elements of any tv show that i can think of like it's just something that when you see his character enter a scene uh it's like he's the like the kramer sidekick sitcom character and yet you don't know to what degree of which he's just 
you know, baked out of his gourd in that very moment. And so many of his storylines are devised around him getting pot or getting better pot or just enjoying the pot that he has. And he's got this kind of aura about him in which he can be kind of um, not the center of attention and kind of hanging in the background and still steal focus because he's just a star. But he can also just turn it on and off where, you know, he can earn that spotlight if you need him to or, you know, drift back away from it. And in Mr. Mayor, he's doing it in a little bit more of a broad comic light. He's he's uh, almost done it accidentally, and then he's put into scenarios where it could trigger him to be either, you know, uh, laughing when he shouldn't be laughing, or uh, angry when he shouldn't be angry, or paranoid when he shouldn't be paranoid, and in, in these very public scenarios. Um, and that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. But the way that Danson plays it, like he's just so nuanced in 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 his exact stage of being high, that it adds an extra layer to it. It adds like kind of an identifiable enjoyment where you are familiar with the scenario that he's in, but you also just really enjoy watching Ted Danson play it out. And, you know, Danson is this, is this TV icon. He's, uh, uh, one of the most liked people in Hollywood. He can show up on Curb Your Enthusiasm and steal a scene like that from Larry David, even in, you know, the best of the seasons. Uh, and, he can be that very authoritative, uh, commanding central figure. He can represent just about anything you need him to, and to see him also go so far the other way with it, where he's just this giant, tall, white-haired gentleman, uh, baked out of his gourd, slinking into the background of an SUV, like just kind of like huddling into himself and 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 appreciating the silliest things you can imagine at this uh, unbelievably high rate. I just love it, guys. I'm sorry. I, I'm hoping to find something deeper within this conversation oh. than just he's really good at it and I love it. But I think it might just be that. He's really good at it. I love it. And I'm very happy he's back doing that, even for just an episode. Well, I think there's something to what you're, and this is coming from my very rude brain, but like there's something to like just late career Ted Danson finding humor in unexpected places. I think like a lot of the best moments of Michael on The Good Place are when he is reveling in the idiotic things that people love. Uh, I mean, the most the famous example is like the paper clips in the in the tub. But like that feels like a very that feels like a very like I'm high right now. Aren't these? Isn't it crazy that people love these things? Like I love these things. And I think him writing the 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 song about the train to Funk Town or whatever it is. I don't know the exact title. And like he's trying to work on various versions of that song. Like these are all things that like a half half cocked high brain would do. And it's not said overtly uh, in the good place, but like that that feels like a similar energy, sight unseen, to what you were talking about uh, in Mr. Mayor. I mean, it is it is that you can appreciate the specificity of both those things. Like you can appreciate in the good place. Who he's playing? He's playing. Um, I mean, spoilers. No spoilers, but an other otherworldly being who uh, who isn't familiar with these these things. He's he's only seen them from afar. So to be able to interact with them, kind of uh, you know, in, in person, so to speak, or or physically, tangibly, however you want to say it, that does like elicit this kind of childlike joy. And then when he's when he's high, it's like the the person he is like he's still so much in character it's not like he's allowing himself to just become like oh i just i'm goofy now oh i'm just scared now like he doesn't just 
kind of have a general sheen of doing it, he can still apply, you know, as an actor should, he can still apply situationally to, uh, to, to the state of mind that this person is in. And, um, yeah, like it's just, it's just, he's just very good at it. He's both very convincing. And then he, he's able to, uh, elicit these reactions almost always that are, uh, that are unique to that moment. So it's like you can keep appreciating it instead of it being nostalgic where you're just dipping back and seeing him do it again. It's not like he's not like when uh, he was on the good place and he played a bartender and you're like, you know, they were very subtle about it, but you're still sitting there going, Ooh, we get to see him be a bartender again. That's pretty cool. It's not like that. It's it's very much like a new discovery each time he, he gets hired or, or does something um, kind of uh, silly and, and uh, throwback. So uh, anyway. But before we start recording, God, the good place was just exclusively made for stoners, right? I'm just thinking about the cactus gag, <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, I just, it makes me laugh every time. Um, I mean, the good place, and, yeah. the good place was envisioned by a stoner. <laughs> I would I mean, say that that kind true. of gag, though, is the thing that I could see someone getting stuck on, and then you miss the humor as it keeps going. Like, you are still thinking about how funny that one moment was, but the episode has progressed, and if you're... So... Anyway. Uh, but before we start recording, uh, Ben's wanting to talk about how good Ted Danson is and Mr. Mayor at portraying someone under the influence uh, sparked uh, various other thoughts. Libby, do you want to talk about a portrayal of someone who's high uh, that you think is is really excellent? Yeah, actually, I too, because as Ben was talking, I thought about um, an old pull of one of the, I think, one of the best sitcom episodes. It, it is definitely up there for for sitcom episodes, but also uh, one more recently, which is when the most recent season of Better Things we see Sam get medical marijuana and kind of lose her shit. There is something very amusing, I think, about seeing people of a certain age, um, people who very well can or probably were stoners back in in their old life, uh, re-encountering pot as adults or as, uh, as, very, as more refined citizens. And there's something about that... Um, that uh i can't think of the word um there 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 is something about that dissonance that is so inherently funny um which is just yeah is 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 a testament to say um ted danson's talent but but it is an inherently funny premise for all of the reasons that you you outlined ben and i think the same thing is true with adlin uh she's very um it's very it's very small things and she really captured the uh panic of when you realize you're high um but then the panic of realizing you're way too high um which i thought was very beautiful but talking about that reminded me of an old episode of roseanne called a stash from the past when dan and roseanne um find weed that they're afraid was the kids and then they realize it was their old stash that they had put there and they and um they and a very very obviously fictionally pregnant um jackie uh the wonderful Lori metcalf um get high and it's they don't know how to handle it it's very amusing uh, uh jackie at one point thinks 
because she is so pregnant and sitting in the bathtub uh, that everything has shrunk around her, um, that she's just huge. And and there's something about John Goodman and uh, Laurie Metcalf um, being under the under the influence of of marijuana because it's different than playing drunk. It is a, a step removed. It is less. It is a little less familiar and accessible to many people. And, um, and it's something that, you know, we didn't really allow on television a lot um, until we got much closer to the legalization of marijuana. Um, and so it was always, it is still always such a treat to, to see people playing in that, in that play box, uh, in that sandbox when it's not like high maintenance or. Yeah. <laughs> or or City. It's definitely baked in. Yeah. Ooh. Right. Right. Oh, nailed Baked it. in. It's 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 also worth mentioning that like like you said, because it it has been it because it, it's not as immediately or or presumably as familiar to a lot of people who were watching, uh, it's treated that way by a lot of people in that, you know, and, and plenty of shows when somebody gets high or or stoned or whatever, like it's like the writers are given an excuse to do whatever they want with that. They don't have to, they don't have to try to look at it from like, well, what would they actually be like or how would that actually affect them? It just lets them be like, well, they can be as loopy and weird and crazy and see things and like all this stuff as they, as we want them to be. So one of the things that was great about Adlon's uh, interpretation of it was that she also had to direct herself in that scene. So like she made a lot of choices with how that scene was shot and kind of the way that the camera started to move, like especially along its axis, like that that would emphasize the state that she was in without, you know, betraying the reality of it for her. So like I really liked seeing that as well. I liked seeing kind of the not only is she going to go to that very comic place of I've I've gotten way too high and I don't know what to do, uh, even though eventually she does handle it pretty well. Um, but we're going to see the interpretation of that from somebody who wants to treat it not seriously, but treat it realistically. Um, and and I feel like Danson dials into that same wavelength where it's like, I really want to understand how this person would be feeling in this moment. I don't want to just be given a license to do whatever I want. I want to have the specific thing to work with and then go from there. And that's what you know a, a really good actor can do. So it's nice to see those portrayals. And, and I think to Libby's I, point, I appreciate to it. Libby's point, like about as we move closer to, you know, uh, legalization across all 50 states uh, as whenever that happens like we're still currently in the silver age I'd say of like marijuana on television and I think like if you think back to like the earliest filmed uh, versions of people being drunk it's obviously super cartoonish it's the hiccup it's the uh, you know asleep in a in a trough or whatever like it's just like these insane things that like don't really happen to everyone and I think then as as we've gone along we've gotten more accurate portrayals that can be used for both dramatic and comedic uh, tellings. I think the same thing will happen with uh, with pot as it becomes something that is less. I used to hate when you'd see portrayals of marijuana. It's like it felt like it was LSD. And it's like that's not quite what it is. That's like all these other drugs that don't do the things that uh, that pot does just because it was like this catch all for like this is a psychedelic trip. Illegal. Yeah, drug. here's yeah. here's a trip. It's just like mushrooms it's just, but it's like those are all very different things um and so i think as it becomes legal as more people experience it they'll notice that like it is different uh it is nuanced and there's plenty of comedy and drama to be mined therein uh it just takes a little bit of digging i don't have a cool pun like libby had <laughs> 
Uh, you gotta chuck out. You gotta, you gotta. You cool. gotta. You gotta scrape out the resin <laughs> to, to get to the, to get the, the real solid nugs. The dank nugs. That's yeah. where the dank nugs are. You didn't have a. You didn't have a cool one. <laughs> uh, I've never partaken. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> The Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video of Bjork talking about TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson, our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Anne Donahue. Our favorite stars of The Crown that we hope to see reprise their performances in season six are Jared Harris, Vanessa Kirby, and Olivia Coleman. Millions of Screens endorses Elizabeth, Elizabeth DeBecky in anything. I gotta see Widows. I gotta watch Widows gotta watch widows you can find us on twitter at a million screens at midwest spitfire at ben t travers and at leo Adrian garcia you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify google play so leave a review and let us know what you think this is ben libby and leo remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you you shouldn't let poets lie to you ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast <laughs> It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.